0: Well, this morning, let's get real, all right? We're all about genuine Christianity the last two weeks, and we're going to continue our study in the book of James, which is all about being real, being authentic, all right? Genuine Christianity. We've learned about qualities of genuineness. We've learned that... Uh, Through times of testing, real faith endures. In fact, we talked about that last week, how James from verse number two down to verse number eight talks about real faith enduring times of testing, times of trial. When life gets hard, real faith remains. It stays strong. It stands firm. But this morning, we're going to continue now into verse number 11, Uh, verse number nine, I should say, down to verse number 11, and we're going to learn that real faith evaluates the temporary. It evaluates the temporary. Uh, Earlier this week, I had someone call me, and we were talking about uh, the passage from last week of James chapter two, and uh, verse number eight, or verse chapter one, verse number eight, and he he was just talking about the double-minded man being unstable, and he made this observation. uh, The man I was talking to, he said, um, you know, whenever we're not acting wise, following what God has uh, showed us in His Word, then we have no stability in life. And until you get that right, you'll always be without stability in your life. You'll, you'll always be up and down. It's, it's the application of God's truth in our life that actually brings stability to our life and that way the storm though it comes and though it's rough and the winds are are blowing hard and strong we can remain stable and at peace during that time because of that truth and and I really loved his focus on that because it ties in to what we're talking about next which is the temporary. Uh, what what is that about going in through that storm, going through that difficult time that that we, we long for at least some peace and, and kind of let's get our bearings here. We, we want to figure out why, why this is coming into my life and how do I deal with this difficulty. And verse number 9, 10, and 11 really give us a, a practical way to look at things, a, a practical way uh, to view the storm that is in your life or that you've just come out of in your life. And and so that's what we're going to be studying. So if you have your Bible open, James chapter number one, look at verse number nine. It says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower, of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Let's go ahead and pray and ask God to give us his wisdom as we study this passage. Father, we thank you, first of all, for who you are. Being the God that loves us, the God that came to this earth to save us. Thank you, Father, because... It is in this place where your presence is felt so closely. It's in this place where we've dedicated our time and our hearts and our minds to praise your name through worship in singing, but also through worship of studying your word. So this morning we ask that you would fill our hearts and our minds, that your Holy Spirit would take control of this time, and that we would be receptive to your voice, I pray that the message in this passage would be something that would challenge us this morning, but that also would help us and guide us in the storms of life. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name, Amen. Well, one thing that we realize during our lifetimes here on Earth is that life is short. It really is short, no matter if you live to be a hundred. Or nine hundred, and there have been people that have lived over nine hundred years on this earth, not currently, but they have in the history of Earth had nine hundred years of being on this planet, and it really doesn't matter. I'm, I'm sure that if we could talk to them today and ask them, well, how long did nine hundred years feel? They would say it went by like that, because it really doesn't matter if it's hundred or nine hundred or seventy or sixty or Whatever it is, it just goes by so quickly because life is short. And in our short time here on earth, life just happens to everyone. And, and what I mean by that is it really doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States, you're going to have tough days. It doesn't matter if you own Amazon and you're a billionaire, you're going to have tough days. Your, your life is going to have some difficult Times, this doesn't matter. Life just happens to everyone in the short time that we have of being here. It can just be so difficult. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of um, when I think of the brevity of life. It reminds me of this uh, this patient that went to go see his doctor. He had, of course, not been feeling too well, and he went and got some tests done. and And so the uh, the doctor was giving a, a prognosis of of you know uh, what the test results were and. And, um, and the doctor looked at his patient, and he said, sir, I, I hate to tell you this, but I've got some bad news and some really bad news. And uh, the patient said, well, doc, um, you know, go ahead and let's, let's hear the bad news first. He said, well, the bad news is the test results have come back and you have 24 hours to live. He said, 24 hours to live. I mean, that is terrible news. That's not just bad news. That's horrific news. He said, what could be worse than this? Doctor, what is the really bad news then? The doctor said, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to call you yesterday and tell you. (laughs) You know, life just goes by so quickly, right? Life is short. Hopefully, it's not as short or doesn't feel as short as that patient, but life does go by so quick. And in this short time, things just happen in life. Right? We talked about last week the trials that we face in life and how real faith stays in those trials. It really, in fact, is highlighted during those trials. But you know that also during trials and also during life, we have to evaluate life itself. Because you see, life here on earth is temporary. No matter if you want to say, well, 100 years seems like it's a long time for me. I mean, I'm, I'm 35, I'm 25, I'm 15. If I could live to 100, I feel like that's a long way off. And, and no matter what, even if it is a quote-unquote long way off, it's still something that we ought to evaluate. In fact, in Psalm chapter 90, the psalmist said, God, his prayer was, teach us to number our days so that we might act in wisdom, so that we might live wisely. And you know what he's talking about when he says that phrase? He's not really talking about celebrating birthdays. Now, I'm all for celebrating birthdays, right? I, I love getting gifts, and I love going to birthday parties and eating their candy and, and having fun and, and eating the cake there. But he's not talking about celebrating birthdays when he says, Lord, teach us to number our days. He's not talking about counting our days. What he's talking about is making our days count. And there's a huge difference to that. Life is short. Life happens to everyone. And that's why it's important to evaluate the temporary time of our lifespan here on earth. That's why it's just natural for, for James. I, I don't know, as he was writing, I guess the Holy Spirit just got of pop this thought into his head. Hey, you know, when you're going through trials of life, you don't want to be unstable. And, and you know, speaking of instability, life is so short. It's so temporary. And, and you got to evaluate it. And there's two big ideas that we can learn from verse number 9, 10, and 11 here in this passage on evaluating the temporariness of life. About evaluating how short all of this is. And, and, and listen, I, I was just talking to a, a parent in the in the earliest service here. He's actually a grandparent now. And he was telling me, he I can't believe, like, my kids already have their own kids. And when I look at my grandkids, I can remember when my kids were that, that age and doing that. It just goes by so quickly. I cannot believe that. And in doing this, and as we think about that, and everybody here knows time's gone by so fast. You've got to evaluate. What are the... What are, the, what are the two evaluations that we can draw out of this passage that James says this would be the wise way to look at it? This is the perspective you and I need to have when we look at life. Well, the first one, if you have your notes, is this, and that is to rejoice in God's goodness. You see, James here begins with those that don't have a lot in life. The words there, low degree, if you, if you look it up in the Greek or maybe you have a different version of uh, our translation of the Bible. It'll probably say that uh, something else other than low degree, but it means those that are in poverty, those that are poor in their economic status. Now, let me just say in America, this is really relative, is it not? I mean, as Americans, we're in the top 1% of the whole world population when it comes to our lifestyle, right? When it comes to the wealth that we have compared to everyone else. But in the US, even in the US that's been blessed, and though we have a, a pretty high standard of living, yet even in the US you find poverty. Right? Poverty that Jesus said the poor will always be with you, and it doesn't really matter what society and what system of government you try to use. You can use the socialistic system of government and say, let's just give everybody money and you'll still find poverty. If you do the capitalistic and say, everybody just work hard and, 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 and start your business and earn a living and, and everybody, you'll still have poverty. It doesn't matter what system you use. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're in. Poverty's always there. And so James starts with those that are in poverty, what, what, how are we supposed to look at life? What is, what is supposed to be the perspective on, on evaluating the shortness of life? He says simply this. He says, look at verse number nine. He says, uh, let the brother of low degree that is in poverty rejoice in that he is exalted. So the first thing is rejoicing. And that last word, exalted, okay, once again, a word we probably wouldn't use in this context, but it's, it's talking about your high position in Christ. It's what he's pointing to. He's saying, if you're in a low economic position in your life, if you're considered, uh, you going to consider yourself poor economically, then understand your perspective in life ought to be, don't forget the position that has been given to you in Christ. Don't forget not just who you are, but really who you are in Christ. We live in a, in a world with a crisis identity, right? Uh, or identity crisis, I should say. Uh, we, we're, we're so confused. I mean, the more and more that you, you see in our society, people are confused about who they are. They're confused about how to identify themselves. In fact, you you... Fill out any any kind of application. I I was filling out a, a healthcare application a couple of weeks ago, and it you know there's a question: How do you identify yourself? And and uh, what gender do you identify yourself as? And uh, we have a, a, an identity crisis even in our society today. Everybody everybody's trying to look for who who are we. And James is saying. When he says, the person of low degree, just remember that you are exalted. He's saying, remember the position that Christ has given you. Remember who you are in Christ and rejoice in that. Don't look at the circumstances. Don't look at the lack of income in your life. Okay, because life is temporary. It's short. It's, it's, it's going to go by pretty quick. He said, better just rejoice in the goodness of God. Now, to do this, you've got to start off by recognizing your position in Christ. You know, joy is a matter of the heart and mind. It's not of circumstances in life. It's not. If you have your notes, look in your notes. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is a story when Paul and Silas were in the city of Philippi. They were preaching, they were teaching, they were sharing their faith, and uh, they get in trouble the city officials come, they arrest them, and they throw them in prison. And look what it says. It says, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. So they weren't just in the normal cell since the uh, the guard, they told them, listen, don't lose these guys. Okay. This is the high priority prisoner. So then he says, all right, well, we're going to get them even further inside in the prison where they can't get out in a smaller cell. So he thrust them into the inner cell and made their feet fast in the stock. So he ties them up. And then it says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. What did they do when they had lost everything? I mean, literally. <laughs> they lost their, their entire freedom. They're getting thrown in prison. What did they do? Did they begin to say, oh my goodness, what what are we doing? Why why is this happening? God, I mean, seriously, we're we're just trying to do what's right and now we're in prison and we're not just in a normal prison. They put us in the worst one. They've chained us up. And I'll be honest, that that probably would be my first reaction because anytime storms come into my life, I always want to wonder like, why? What did I do? What decision did I make to get myself here? But sometimes you can make the, wrong, uh, the right decision and still end up in the middle of a prison cell with things going bad. And yet, in that, in that situation, they're singing and <laughs> praising God. How were they able to do that? Because of their perspective. And this is what James is talking about. He's saying, rejoice in the goodness of God. Don't rejoice in what you have or don't have. Don't rejoice in your circumstances because they're probably not good circumstances. They're not easy to deal with. James, remember, who's he talking to? Talking to people that have fled the city. People that had to be scattered out because of the persecution in the city of Jerusalem. He's talking to these people. He's saying, listen, I know a lot of you have lost everything, but don't think on that. Rejoice in the fact that God is good. Understand how good God is. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it's there in your notes. Paul begins to share what that even means the position that we have in Christ. The fact that we've been forgiven, the the fact that we've been accepted, the fact that we've been blessed, the fact that we're part of God's family, the the fact that we have a position in heaven and a place in heaven to be with him for all of eternity. Think about that. That's God's goodness. That's not because you've been such a great person. It's not because you have such a great and positive attitude. No, that's the goodness of God. And he said, when you start lacking in life, Economically, he's talking about. Here's a practical thing. That, that storm, that, that thing that brings instability like lack of income can do, rejoice. Rejoice in the goodness of God by recognizing just who God has saved you and made you to be. He said, think about that and rejoice. But not only recognizing our position in Christ can bring joy, but also by accepting God's plan for our life. Accepting God's plan for our life. Look in your notes there. Psalm chapter 50. I don't know if this thought has ever occurred to you, but look at Psalm chapter number 50. Verse number 10 says this. For every beast of the forest... And this is God speaking, by the way. And He's saying, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills... I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. God is saying, I own everything. This thought comes to my mind. God is not short on cash. We can get short on cash. God never gets short on cash. So here's the thing. If God is never short on cash, if he really owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? So he's got all this cattle... Sometimes I think, can you sell some and you may just give me some of the profits? Right? God can do that. He owns everything. So if he's not short on cash, why are you? And this is the reality. You're short on cash because God wants you to be short on cash. Plain and simple. If he wanted you to have more money, he would get you more money. He ain't short on that. He has a plan for that. So so the question isn't, um, God, why why aren't you giving me more? God, I need more. That's not the question. The question is this, why has God given me what I do have? I got to rest in that plan. You see, what made Paul and Silas sing that night at midnight in the inner jail cell, was that they were rejoicing and that God was good and God had a plan. It was God's plan the whole time for them to be there. In fact, if you continue reading the story, you'll find that as a result of being in that prison, they began to witness to the guard that was there. The guard that made the decision to put them in the worst prison cell because he was scared they might escape. The guard that had put the handcuffs on them and, and made them put, uh, sit there in stocks, that guard got saved that night. And Paul said, this is why we rejoice. And this is why James says, look it, you find yourself in a low estate of a low degree. It's not a time to take a pity party. It's not a time to say, well, God, where's all the cash that you're supposed to be sending my way? It's a time there to rejoice and think about God's goodness in your life. It's a time to start thinking about, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Maybe God wants our faith to grow because it doesn't require a lot of faith right to pay your mortgage if your mortgage payment is $800 it doesn't require a whole lot of faith if you have 2000 in the bank i would say it probably requires no faith it just requires a withdrawal but when it's $800 and you have $500 faith kicks in pretty quick So, here's the principle. Rejoice in God's goodness when you find yourself strapped for money. That's what James is saying. That's what real faith does. Real faith isn't, at that point, starting to question God. But it's at that point that it starts believing. Do I really believe he owns the cattle on a thousand hills? We find that as Christians with real faith, we must rejoice in the fact that whatever we have is a direct result of the goodness of God. You remember the the parable uh, that that Jesus taught about some that had five talents, some ten talents, some two talents? You you, you remember that parable? In that parable, the master at the end starts getting uh, an account of, of, of of his investment. And it's funny, each of them could have had the same kind of joy. The one that had 10 talents and went and used those 10 talents and invested them and got 10 more, he had joy in his life. The one that had five and reinvested and got five more was joyful in his life. But the one that had one and he went and buried it, didn't use it, just got stuck in the fact that, well, I only, I only have one, and, and how's this fair? and. Lost out on all joy. He could have had the same exact joy as the one with five or the one with ten, but he didn't. Because instead of rejoicing in the goodness of God, he thought, I'm just going to start thinking about how come so-and-so at church, how come they got that and I don't? How come God has given them that? I've never met anyone that gives me a car, but so-and-so at church got one. Where are they meeting these people so I can go to that same grocery store? <laughs> right? I mean, you, you get these thoughts of like, I, I want to I wanna have that. How come that never happens in my life? And God says, see, your perspective is all wrong. That's probably where your biggest problem is. You know what I have found? I have found that the people that have received major gifts and donations half the time are not ones that are going and looking for them. I found that most of the time it's people that are just rejoicing in the goodness of God. And suddenly God brings someone on their, on their path and they cross paths and, and that person says, hey, I noticed that you have this need and we got this and I just feel led of the Lord. I want to give you this. Here, I just want to give you a gift card so you can go with your family, go eat. It wasn't because that person came and asked, "Hey, do you have any extra gift cards you can have? You know, you can give me that I could have." No, it wasn't that. It was just they're simply rejoicing in the goodness of God. Let me tell you, if you find yourself as in, in a low degree this morning, James says, "Look, rejoice in God's goodness. Recognize who God has saved you to be, who you are in Christ. That ought to get you excited. As it is, that ought to get you excited." But secondly, just accept that what has been given to you has been given to you by God. It's not that, well, I go to work every day. I get up so early, and that's that's why I got what I got. No. You know why I got what I got? Because God is good. God's just been good to me. (laughs) You say, well, does that mean you don't have to get up early in the morning and go to work? No, we all do. We're not focusing on that. We're focusing on and rejoicing in the fact that God is good. Let me give you the second one this morning quickly. Not only are we to rejoice in God's goodness, but then we are to remember God's grace. James says, okay, this is what you do if you're in low degree. Look what he says to the one that is rich. But the rich, verse 10 says, and that he is made low. almost Sounds like... Vice versa, right? If you're in low degree, that you're exalted. If you're, if you're rich, that you've been made low. What does that mean? Well, rich is pretty easy to understand. The economic bracket, it's going well. But how are they to evaluate that situation? Is God against being rich I feel hard to believe that a guy that owns the cattle on a thousand hills is against people that are rich. God's not against wealth. God wants you and I to have wealth, and he's made it possible to have wealth and have what we have. God's not against rich, but he's saying, okay, but if you've been blessed, if I've blessed you with wealth, how are you supposed to look at this temporary thing called life? If you don't have wealth, you rejoice in the goodness of God. If you do have wealth, he said, remember God's grace. Remember, he says, uh, if, if you do, he says, but for the rich in that he is made low. In other words, he's, he's no different than that one that's in that poverty level. In fact, he could easily go back. That level, God wants you to get you back into the low degree he can. But he said, what I'm trying to communicate here is that if you're rich, it's because God has blessed you and don't forget about his grace in your life. The grace of God. The grace of God. Now, what does this mean? It means this. It means the first, first principle when you talk, talk about remembering God's grace because you've got wealth in your life. It means this, number one, to say, I have nothing, God owns it all. I have nothing, God owns it all. Now you're remembering God's grace in your life. That means your car, your house, your clothes, everything that costs money to have. It's because it's been given to you by God. Don't forget the grace of God in your life. Because he owns it all, he's given it to you. I have nothing, but God owns it all. You see, the truth of this statement of, if you are rich, that you've been made into low degree, James is saying this, don't view it as yours. Don't view it as yours. I can't tell you how many... Men, men of God that I've run into, and I'm talking not pastors, I'm talking just men of God that, you know, some have businesses and some just work at businesses, But, but I can tell you even in our very church, men that have been in a car accident with a car they had six months, and they say, it's all right, it wasn't my car anyway, it was God's. remember the first time I heard that, I thought, huh? That's like a new car, man. How can you have that perspective? The way you have that perspective is, hey, if I have any wealth, it's not mine. It's God's. It's God's grace in my life that allowed me to have what I have, this nicer car, this nice house or whatever. It's God's grace in my life. And so if God wants to take it away and make me of low degree, it's okay. It was his anyway. Maybe he didn't need me to have that car anymore. This is is why Paul, look in the notes there, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul said this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Me. Paul said, Listen, whatever I do, it's by the grace of God. Whatever I get, it's by the grace of God. That's why Paul told uh, the people at Philippi, hey, I have learned that whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. I've learned how to live in abundance, and I've also learned how to live in scarcity. I've learned how I need to look at the temporary cycle of life. When I have a lot going for me and God's blessing is coming in and and I have this wealth, but I've also learned how to look at life, the, the temporary state of life, when I've had nothing and everything's been taken from me. And he said the key to both of those, grace of God and the goodness of God. I've learned to rejoice when things are going bad, and I've learned to remember the grace of God when things are not. See, when that is our perspective, the not having a lot or having a lot brings us to the same conclusion, the experience of joy. Don't allow the wealth and material blessings of life to cause you to forget the grace of God. That's what James is saying. Don't don't allow that to go and make you forgetful because it's easy to. And then he gives us a quick illustration to think about. He says there at the end of verse uh, number uh, 10, he says, Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. So life's temporary. I believe, by the way, that illustration fits both whether you're in low degree or whether you're rich, it doesn't matter. It's short. And he says, We're, we're all grass. I love what uh, Psalm 103, verse 15. But as for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. The brevity of life, the temporariness of life. What's the perspective, James says? Easy. If you got nothing, rejoice in God's goodness. If you got everything, remember God's grace. Because life is short. And life happens to everyone. It does. You know, when you think about that, I I love that at the end, James says, For he passeth away. The flower there in the he is the person with, with the wealth or the one without. We, we pass away. You know, if you have wealth, your wealth, you can build it enough to where it will outlive you. And there's people on this earth that they probably have their great, great, great grandchildren already covered for life and their wealth. Your wealth can outlive you, but you can't. <laughs> we both are going to be fading away. So here's here's the principle. When you're remembering God's grace, you, you say, well, how do I do that? Number one, you, you, you remember God's grace when you say, I don't have anything. Everything I have is God's. But the second way is this by investing in God's kingdom while you can. Investing in God's kingdom while you can. You say, why? Because life's short. Yeah, what if I live to 100? It's short. Live to 50, it's short. Everyone that's like 51 years old is going, yeah, it is short. <laughs> 50, that's nothing. No, life's short. So invest now. That's how you remember the the grace of God is saying, well, if God gave me this and he has a plan for why he gave me this, it's probably to invest in him. In this short span that we have of walking on this earth, we have to live for him. You know, in 1904, a young man by the name of William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. He came from a very wealthy family. Very wealthy. In fact, he was graduating at the age of 16, and as a graduation present, his parents gave him literally a trip around the world. So he got to go and start traveling around the world after his senior year, just to see the world. Just a gift like that. Well, in that time... Before he went on his trip around the world, he had begun to attend a church there in Chicago. It was a pastor by the name of R.A. Torrey. Under his preaching, he came to real faith in Jesus Christ. He made a decision, accepted Christ as his Savior. And and William, by the time he's graduating from high school, he had already been attending that church. And he goes off on this trip just to see the world. And while he's there, he begins to see people in China and people in India. And he begins to see people in Africa. And he begins to realize that there's a big need out there. Begins to realize that there are people that are dying without hope without faith, without any kind of life. He starts to get this burden, and during that time, he starts feeling like God is calling him to serve him full-time as a missionary. When he gets back home after this trip, he begins to tell some of his family and friends that he feels like God is calling him to be a missionary, and some of them thought, why are you going to throw away your life like that? They told him, William, you, you, you can do anything in life. You can, you can own your own business. You can, you can enjoy a life to to its fullest. Why are you going to throw it all away as a missionary? William Borden got his Bible that night. And according to the story, he wrote there in his Bible just two words. He said, no reserves. After doing that... For the next few months of his life, he began to try to give away as much wealth as he could, of his own wealth. He began there, he attended Yale college for college and he was known in the area to go out and speak to uh, people that were on the street living homelessly and people that were hungry and people that were widows and orphans and he went and he was known as the guy that would go through the streets and try to help people and take them to lunch and try to to just share with them the gospel as he tried to meet their financial needs because he said there's no reserves on what I have see what I have has been given to me it's not mine God owns it. So I'm just going to rejoice in the goodness of God and I'm going to remember the grace of God and now I'm just going to give what I can later he began to feel more of what God was doing in his life and now having given away much of his wealth he went to Bible college, uh, to get prepared to go onto the mission field. People said, you're crazy. I cannot believe you're doing that. In fact, it is said that his parents told him, if you do that, don't come back here to this home. His dad said, I've worked hard to build the business that I have. I thought you would take it, and if you're not going to, and you're just going to live this dream of yours, don't come back this way. So they say that he opened his Bible again and he wrote two more words under no reserve and he put, no retreat. He said, I can't go back. I can't go back because life is too short. It's just just too temporary. He said, man, the perspective I have, and the way I'm evaluating this thing that we call life is I'm just going to rejoice and remember. Well, he was going to go to the Muslim there in China. And he thought it would be a good idea to stop in Egypt and learn a little bit of Arabic before he went there and began to try to win souls for Christ that were there in that Muslim community. While he was there in Egypt, he came down sick with spinal meningitis. As he was battling through that He opened his Bible and wrote two more words and continued battling. At age 25, there in Egypt, away from home, having given up his wealth, having given up his position as a business owner and continuing life, age of 25, William Borden died of spinal meningitis. Trying to learn Arabic to go to China and share with some Muslims there the gospel. They said that after his funeral, someone picked up his Bible. As they opened the cover, they saw those first two words that he said, no reserve. And under it, the two words that he had told his father, no retreat. And then they saw the last two words he had written when he was battling spinal meningitis. It said, no regrets. Life's short. Life happens to everyone. What should be our perspective of life? How do we evaluate this temporary thing we call life? James says, well, if you have nothing, then rejoice in God's goodness. That's how you ought to view life. God's just good for giving me life. And if you're rich and God's blessed you with much, he said, just remember God's grace. Because just like a flower comes and goes, just like you're here one day and gone the next, life is short. Rejoice in the goodness of God and remember his grace. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. How practical it is. How real it is for us today. How we need more of this perspective in our life. We need to be real in our life with our faith. Father, as we examine your word, we're convicted to our heart. But how many times in our life we can lose our focus and our evaluation of what is temporary. And Father, if that be the case, help us to get back to the right perspective. This morning, help us to see that what we need is a right view and a right evaluation of this thing that is so temporary called life. Oh, Father, I I pray that you would help us to make that decision today. This morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, perhaps you're here and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, that's what I needed today. I've been noticing that my, my perspective of where I'm at in life right now hasn't really been the right one. Would you just pray for me that I could rejoice and remember today? I want to apply this practical truth that James talks about in my faith because I want my faith to be real. I want it to be authentic and, and genuine. Would you just pray for me to keep the right perspective? Just raise your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you all over. God bless you. Amen. I want to give one more invitation before we're dismissed this morning. And That is maybe you're here this morning. And you're saying, I, I can't really see that perspective, Pastor, because to be honest, I've never had real faith in my life. I can't think of a moment where I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin and be my Savior. Oh, but I'd like to have real faith. I'd really love to have Jesus as my Savior. And that's the decision I need to make today. That's the decision I want to make right now. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that? So pray for me, Pastor. I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Anyone like that? Have really faith, real faith. Amen. Amen. Let's pray, Father. Our hands were raised, but you know our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would help us this morning. Help us, Father, to remain faithful and to live out a real faith. That it would be different than everything else we see or hear. Oh, Father, I pray that this this morning you'd work in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to remain focused on you. Help us to rejoice and remember throughout this week. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.